Welcome back to the Overthinking It podcast. We had uh, a week off, but we are back in force uh, with Britney Cast, Britcast, uh, a podcast. I think it's Britney Spears person. I've been hearing more and more about her, and I feel like she's she's gotten on my radar now. And it might I think be that, I think she's going to be big. I mean, I think this girl could be a real phenomenon. Yeah, if, if anyone listening to the podcast doesn't know who she is, uh, Wikipedia will fill you in. Uh, I mean, she's you know, a, I think just the kids are listening to her now, but she might go mainstream any day. She's an American pop singer, you know. On uh, I've been, I've actually been on Wikipedia as we've been, uh, uh, as we've been preparing the podcast. We were talking before we started recording, and my high school has an entry on Wikipedia that I was, uh, that I was reading. I was distracted by it a little bit. Um, oh, that will be our next podcast for sure. <laughs> right. <laughs> but Britney Spears did not go to my high school. Uh, she went to New York City's Professional Performing Arts School when she was eight. She was an understudy. Wait, is that like fame, the fame school? Or? Yeah, I think it is, right? Isn't it? I don't know. I'm reading off Wikipedia, obviously. I I can, yeah, you're the one who has access to the might of Wikipedia. Yeah. Uh, yeah. If you give me about 20 seconds, it will become the fame school. <laughs> right. Um, I don't know. Or is that? Or is the the Fiorello H. LaGuardia High School of Music and Performing Arts the Fame School? There are different. There are different ones. Was LaGuardia at all related to performance? No, because I mean, I just think of him as a mayor. Don't you just name things after public figures? But I, I feel like if it's like a, a was, like was, a magnet. You might want to name it after somebody who's like related to that field. Was Martin, I don't know, whatever. I mean, was John F. Kennedy, you know, like an educator, you know, and there are all kinds of John F. Kennedy elementary schools and things right, like that. Right, but what I'm, what I'm saying is like if it's, a, if it's a magnet school, you know, maybe that's whatever. We can debate our philosophy of school naming on, on like, the podcast where we discuss our high school's Wikipedia entry. <laughs> yeah, no, we'll send, out the, we'll send out the URL in a post, in a forthcoming post on the blog. For sure. No, but anyway, I am, so back, back to this young lady who's really going places. Let me just let me just interject and say I am Matt Rather and I am here with Matt Belinky. Yes. And Jordan Stokes. That you are. <laughs> uh, so South Park recently featured uh, Brittany, and uh, we've all seen the episode. I think so. I don't know, Jordan. Like, can you re- can you just recap it briefly in case the listeners haven't? Spoiler alert. Yeah, spoiler alert. It was a, a pretty disturbing episode, as South Park is wont to be. Um, it starts out with the boys trying to get, I believe, a picture of Britney Spears, because they think they can sell it. And it very quickly turns into um, this plot where Britney Spears is being driven to her death as part of a fertility cult of some kind. It's a little bit, uh, a little bit Wicker Man, a little bit The Lottery. And the idea is that all of the press that's circling around her is intentionally driving her to her death so that there will be a good corn harvest, literally. Right. The, but end, I mean, sort of the, the underlying truth there is that, like, everyone is sort of rooting for Britney Spears to kill herself. That, like, that's what we're all sort of hoping secretly will happen. Or at the- at very least, if someone were to go to you know the paparazzi and say, "Look, we have credible evidence that Britney Spears will kill herself if you continue to you know uh, put photographs of her accidentally exposing her vagina into the New York Post," none of them would think for a second about stopping doing what they do because it's their job, and you know people are still willing to pay for those pictures. 
it's yeah. the scene at the end where they're like, mm, it's mighty fine corn. The corn harvest is really good this year is so wholesome and so, you know, so disturbing in its wholesomeness, I think, because they're all just, they really like the corn. Life is good. We got good corn. The celebrity sacrifice worked. Yeah, yeah no, it, it was, uh, it, South Park is good. Let, let's all make it clear that we liked the episode. Oh, sure. And I think that there's something, it actually speaks very strongly to um, how great of a horror story Children of the Corn is, because apparently corn has been forever tainted. Like, there's something creepy about somebody saying the word corn with a whole lot of conviction, just on its own. Is yeah. that just the Children of the Corn, do you think? I'm, I'm trying to think if there are any other sort of, like, pop cultural artifacts that make corn into something that's sort of, like, satanic. Well, a Google search... For corn horror, turns up the following: Children of the Corn, 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 and Children of the Corn. That's just you know, page one. Uh, a Google image search for corn horror should probably not be attempted. <laughs> but I'm gonna do it right now. So, so I had a little theory about Britney Spears. I wanted to I wanted to mention. <laughs> Someone has the uh, most disgusting photograph of a of like a quiche with five cans of corn. I tried to head off this whole thread, but it's into oh god, it's it's awful. It's so terrible. your To all our three listeners, Google corn horror right now and go to image search and see what you get sorry <laughs> okay that's it yeah so wow, uh yeah no um i mean th- this goes the south park episode was about uh the media and and sort of like you know posited that like the britney spears is just a normal woman and everything that she and and she's driven maybe to do things that seem crazy because of the media but let me sort of go the other way and and not necessarily blame britney but just sort of explain why she's you know uh risen to such uh, Baroque excesses of um, TMZ-ness. I'm, I'm making TMZ-ness into an adjective now. Um, you know, there was an episode of The Twilight Zone uh, back in the day about, uh, which I guess actually did have to do with corn, curiously enough. It was about a um, a young boy, like an eight-year-old boy, who was uh, omnipotent. He had uh, unlimited powers, and he had made the rest of the world, as far as anyone knew, besides his own small town, disappear. And um, the residents of the small town lived in fear and, and basically had to um, treat him like a god and, and cater to his every whim. Because if he got angry at them at all, he would... Um, "Quote unquote," banish them to the cornfield, which is, uh, you know, could could just be death or could be something worse than death. And, I mean, like in the the show, it just takes the form of like the person dis- disappears and then reappears. Uh, I mean, and you know, doesn't uh, you know never comes back. But um, the whole point of this episode is that like everyone secretly hates this kid, and in fact, like really yearns for the kid's death because they live in like you know as as slaves to him. Um, and and by act 
great kid in the world and they love him and they they spend their lives sort of like as his uh as his servants and i feel like that's what being a celebrity is like is like you nobody can say no to you and nobody can argue with you because you have the power you have the you have the means to banish them from your life whether they're your parents or your friends you can you can just sort of uh ostracize them and and because there will doubtlessly be other people who are willing to cater to your every whim, and so that like you know if if let's say uh, Jordan, um, let, let's say that like you uh, told me that I should like go to sleep and go to work in the morning, which you should. Uh, Right. And then Matt, like you said that like you know we should uh, stay out late and go to a strip club. Uh, um, Matt, we should stay out late and go to a strip club. I mean, I guess this is a bad example because, like, I understand the need to go to work in the morning. But let's say that, like, it wasn't so much that, like, you know, go to work in the morning. It was like, Matt, I know that you have all the money in the world, but you should probably get up and, like, practice your dance moves, you know, for, you know, so your next music video is super hot. I would probably end up, like, you know, eventually ditching the friend who just, like, told me to, like, go to bed early and to, like, you know, take uh, more vitamins in favor of, like, the friend who, like, you know, um, was going to gratify all my worst impulses. So I feel like, you know, um, maybe this kind of explains what being a celebrity is like. And and also, like, when I think of this, I actually think of George Lucas and Star Wars Episode One, and because on it, it strikes. It, it seems to me that that is a screenplay that never went through more than a first draft. That he wrote it, and then everybody who worked with him, of course, is a giant Star Wars fan, and like George Lucas is a god to them, and told them it was genius. And he never really rewrote it in any significant way because who's going to tell him to rewrite it? I think um, we need to. I, there's a question that we need to take up about celebrity agency. You know, uh, George Lucas has a different is is an artist on a different level than Britney Spears is an artist. No, I mean that's true. Right. Uh, Britney Spears does not write any songs, right? She doesn't oh. even claim to write any songs. No, she has songwriting credit on some of them, but I think that I mean you can tell by the similarity between the songs that are credited to her and the ones that aren't that it's very much a manufactured sound. There was a guy, I think his name is Max Martin or something like, used most of her uh, her early ones. Um, and like, you know, there's a real identifiable sound to hit me baby one more time and oops, I did it again. And, you know, the early Britney hits, which you think of as the Britney sound, it's actually the Max Martin sound or whatever the guy's name is. That it's, and it's Swedish, right? He's. I believe so. Did you, we are joined now, uh, via Skype. He wasn't on the beginning of the call, but joined by Ryan Sheely calling in from St. Louis, Missouri. What's going on, Ryan? What up? Where there's Brittany, there's me. So I know, right? uh, thanks for having me. There's um, there's a question about celebrity agency. You know, Matt put forward the theory that uh, no one can say no to celebrities. So it's this sort of impossible. Uh, it, it, you know, Brittany has gone crazy for the same reason that Star Wars: The Phantom Menace was bad. Uh, that, that like they, they these people just have the means to eliminate anyone who tries to say no to them from their lives, and so that all they're surrounded is people who gratify, who just say whatever they want to hear for the sake of like being within the circle of wealth and power, um, and like you know as a result you you just all your worst impulses are magnified. My contention and- though is that is that George Lucas is an artist on a different level than than Britney Spears is. 
you know, is an artist. And I wonder how much how much agency these uh, these pop stars really have, especially since they're they're packaged so carefully as commodities of a certain type, uh, you know, and managed and handled very thoroughly. That maybe you know maybe there are in fact too many people saying yes and no to uh, to Britney, and that's. Um, well, I, I think, can I jump in here? I think this comes down to sort of uh, Hobbes versus Locke and their competing notions of uh, of the state of nature. Um, because, you that's know, in, in, that's in, in, the in, overthinking it sauce. No, seriously. That is though, the special like, sauce right there. Because so, hear me out here. You know, in the Habesian world, um, it's the Leviathan. It's the state that actually uh, keeps us from, from fulfilling our nasty, brutish, and short impulses, right? And so, so the Belinky hypothesis here is that, is that we're, uh, you know, celebrity takes you into a Leviathan-less world in which no one says no, and, it, and, and you basically um, rush to the lowest common denominator of all of your impulses. But then, you know, what, what you were just suggesting, uh, Matt, rather, was that, um, you know, is a more of a Lockean world is actually, or possibly even a Rousseauian world where it's, um, you know, the it is society itself that actually creates the problem. So it's not that we have, um, you know, immoral man, but rather immoral society, as Reinhold Niebuhr said. That, uh, that Brittany in the state of nature would be a noble savage, but that her agent and her songwriting team <laughs> turned her into a, uh, you know, corrupt, decadent, Whatever. Can I actually jump in with something for a second? Are you guys familiar with the with the Godwin's law? Yeah, exactly. No, no, no. I'm I'm proposing another law. God Godwin's law for anyone who's listening who doesn't know it says that on the internet, whenever you are in an argument and somebody brings up either Hitler or Nazism, that person automatically loses. Um, well, that's, and I, that's, not quite, that, that's not quite – that's not quite – Mike Godwin, who was staff counsel for the EFF for a little while, his formulation was law, of Godwin's law was that as a online conversation progresses, the chance that Hitler will come – will be mentioned in the conversation, the probability approaches one. As the you know, as the conversation. That's interesting, uh, but but I've I've definitely also heard there's a, there's a sort of a corollary to that, which is that like, and the person who brings it up like loses the argument. By I felt the same way at Yale actually a lot of the time that uh, no ethical discussion of any kind could proceed without reference to Hitler eventually. You know, and that it's it's struck me as sort of collegiate. Well, yeah, well, it's like, it sort of provides absolutely like zero like, morally. Right, <laughs> absolutely. It's zero degrees <laughs> ethical Kelvin. <laughs> but anyway, but um, well, before we, we go too far afield, I just wanted to say the reason I brought it up is I feel like there should be a new law, that, for, just for overthinking it, called Shidi's Law, which is that whoever can think of a way to bring Hobbes and or Locke into an argument first uh, wins automatically. I'd, li- I'd, I'd like to say that Shidi's Law should be whoever can can uh, can use the quote, uh, nasty, brutish, and short. <laughs> All right, I think I think that's uh, that's doable. I'll tell you what's nasty, brutish, and short. So hopefully next week we're talking about like Elijah Wood or something like that, and we've got it in, in minute one. Um, it's, it's a... I wouldn't I wouldn't describe Elijah Wood as brutish by any means. Perhaps a foppish. Uh-huh. So he's sort of short, nasty, foppish, and short. <laughs> that's Oscar yeah, Wilde's state of nature. Yes. <laughs> 
But uh, nobody's ever called uh, Elijah Wood a brute. Uh, wow. <laughs> you know, l- let me tell you something. Earlier in the podcast, you encouraged me to Google um, corn and horror and type in images. Yeah. But then on a, on a whim, I decided to change the C to a P and do the same thing. And now I I will never be able to, to um, look at a naked woman ever again. Let me tell you, you're uh, Joanna, Joanna Angel, who I guess we can reveal is actually a, a cousin of Matt Belinky. Uh, what's that? Second cousin, I believe. Second cousin of Matt Belinky. Uh, Joanna Angel of the porn site Burning Angel. Did a and you know when I heard that Matt that your cousin you know had a porn site like I immediately went and looked at it you know obviously you know because I ju- I just want to see how nasty brutish and short you know the maybe that was a stretch maybe that was a stretch I actually guess. is quite short when you meet her in person she's under five feet tall here you go um, but she she did a porn remake of the Reanimator sort of classic horror movie uh, called The Repenetrator that, that was apparently so disturbing that her ISP uh, made her take it down and they, she had to like buy internet hosting in Antigua or something and, and you know uh, uh, that, that should be our goal we need, the TV there, out of we need to move over thinking to Antigua like then we know we've made it I guess well, so. that's, that's what it becomes over fucking it, right? <laughs> <I think that. laughs> Good thing no one listens to this podcast because we would lose our clean rating on iTunes very quickly. Yeah, we need to clean it up because children will be the basis of our audience anyway. So if we lose our clean rating, we're certainly due. <laughs> so, I guess we're actually due to overthink the Wonder Pets any day now, right? <laughs> yeah, but, oh, don't get me started on the Wonder Pets. show ripe with subtext, you know, the Wonder Pets. Wow, we should really try to get back to Brittany. I know it's tempting to yeah. talk about <laughs> Matt, I'm sorry, I can't help myself. Um, what about then, if you're going to do, do uh, porn horror, what about children of the porn? <laughs> oh, boy. I feel like That's that would kind of like, actually get like me like an FBI file. <laughs> yeah, <sure. laughs> but it's yeah, like, I'm, I'm not at all comfortable even typing that in because I feel like the Google people will come after me, and I love Google so much. I don't. I don't want Google <laughs> I feel to like think you might even want to take that one out of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Children of the porn browsers. I don't want you know. In case this is uh, transcribed for for the use of you know the hearing impaired someday, I don't want there to be a Google alert for children slash porn slash overthinking. It. <laughs> I, yeah. Okay. But, but you yourself saying that sentence actually just sort of reiterated the fact that there definitely will be. Well, in for a penny, in for a pound. I, I guess, I guess we so. We might as well just talk about pedophilia for the whole podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, we've all wanted to do that anyway. That's really what we want to discuss tonight. So as long as it's out of the bag, we might as well speaking of, speaking of pedophilia, Brittany burst on the scene oh. in 1998... Yes. Uh, as a as a sort of naughty Catholic schoolgirl archetype with a pleated skirt and you know cleavage and and all this kind of thing. Uh, that was uh, that was elegantly transitioned. How do you like that? You know, that's uh, that's some segue. That's some professional level segue right there. And um, keep it going. Keep it going. And uh, you know, and as we were talking about her. Uh, 
as we were talking about her oeuvre, as we were discussing what we would talk about before we started recording the podcast, uh, the idea came up that the songs, the lyrics in her songs, though she didn't write them, uh, they are eerily prescient and prefigure episodes of her life that at the time she could not have known about. Um, that her lyrics actually provide a kind of uh, fortune teller's allegory for her life, sort of forecasting what it would be. Uh, and I guess we set an order to talk about these in. And the first one was, was Oops, I Did It Again, off her second album, Oops, I Did It Again. Uh, <laughs> which, which may refer to her Las Vegas marriage. Yeah, I think uh, just for for people who um, who don't remember the short-lived uh, Vegas marriage, is confusingly I think a lot of us because the man that she married was Jason Alexander, but not that Jason Alexander, which would have really made it. Um, that would have been that would have been awesome. You remember on The Simpsons when Homer and Ned married women in Vegas, and then they arrived like a couple years later, and it's like, oh, hi, Vegas wives. Yes, I do. Um, so, so let me let me just uh, like read a little bit about it. She married a a, a childhood friend, uh, Jason Alexander. This is January third, two thousand and four. Probably still drunk from New Year's Eve. Actually, uh, the marriage lasted uh, exactly fifty five hours and ended up with an annulment. And uh, if I could briefly quote from the annulment, said that Britney Spears lacked understanding of her actions to the extent that she was incapable of agreeing to marriage because before entering into the marriage, the plaintiff and the defendant did not know each other's likes and dislikes, each other's desires to have or not have children, and each other's desires as to the state of residency. So, uh, there you go. They, they, didn't, they didn't know whether they... So, I don't know, maybe... Presumably, she wanted to have children and he didn't, or... I don't know, maybe that's just legalese. But let, now, if I could quote from Oops, I Did It Again. Um, I think I did it again. I made you believe we're more than just friends. Oh, baby, it might seem like a crush, but it doesn't mean I'm serious. Because to lose all my senses, that's just so typically me. Um, and then the chorus, which everybody knows. So it definitely seems like sort of like a, a cavalier apology to this poor guy who was like briefly married to the most powerful woman in music. Like a, a, but, several but years I think it's, it's a question of, of, of causality. Is it that is, um, you know, is this a prophecy coming true, or is this a, um, you know, she's saying this, sung this lyric and now has to uh, fulfill it, and is constantly sort of her lyrics are always a step ahead of her uh, personal life, and then she's like, well, she's done. Uh, oops, I've done it again. So I better, I better actually uh, lead somebody on. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Wouldn't want to seem like a poser. Exactly. Right, right. You could uh, you could probably make the same argument about um, Eminem, you know, and all of his various uh, like. Actually, no, he he hasn't in fact killed his wife any of those times that he's saying about doing it. Yeah. Uh, no, in fact, I think he remarried her, which is like really. Uh, we could do a whole other podcast about that. That like, if you had to guess. Whether they would get back together based on based on his music, uh, you would definitely have lost some money. But he remarried her and then divorced her again. Wait, are they divorced again? Again, yeah. Oh, no, wait. You, all right, I got to drop out of the podcast for like 30 seconds while I get upset about that. I thought that that was like a true true, uh, true love story. That I thought that, well, it, it is. It just doesn't end happily. Like, oh, no, they're definitely getting back together again. 
and divorcing uh, again. They're basically like Ross and Rachel. Once per <laughs> <laughs> once once per album. Um, you know, it was uh, it was suggested that the song "Crazy," which uh, "Crazy" may have been off the first it was album. Off- album as well and and the, the song oh, was it the same album uh as a uh, hold on as no oops i did again is off her second album right uh the uh the, the first album from 1999 is uh, baby one more time and you and you drive me crazy was the second single was the second single um, off of baby one more time and i'm quoting from memory now uh you drive me crazy i just can't sleep i'm so excited i'm in too deep Whoa, 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 crazy, but it feels all right. Baby, thinking of you keeps me up all night. How'd I do? Yeah, Does someone so have the lyrics up? It's sort of about this mutual obsession, I think, with the media and, and her. I mean, to, to quote from the verse is, um, you know, tell me you're so into me that I'm the only one that you will see. Tell me I'm not in the blue, that I'm not wasting my feelings on you. So it's sort of like, you know, maybe she's obsessed with being famous and the media is obsessed with her. And they're sort of like they, they feed on each other. What does it mean to be in the blue? Uh, I don't know. I mean, it just rhymes with you. Yeah, I guess. Video is off her scansion, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> right. And wasn't wasn't there another one that was sort of the um the the, the counterpart to the craziness? Um, I think I think there was there was another one that that we were thinking was also about the sort of like mutual media obsession. Oh, um, the Neptunes produced, I believe, "I'm a Slave for You." That's the yes. number four. Mm. Yeah, that that was the one, uh, which is clearly about you know the fact that like you know. She she has no freedom anymore. You know that like everything that she does is just fodder for this relentless, uh, pretty based ecosystem of of media um, outlets and whatnot. Hmm. It's, it's like a whale, a whale carcass. You so know? As, as then as then we had to predict what will happen next for Britney. I would guess I would actually look to this song "Toxic" and uh, predict that she's going to be involved in some kind of uh, chemical weapons or uh, possibly uh, radiation-based uh, incident, and we'll, uh, we'll gain superpowers. If I just had to look over her her list of songs, uh, I think that's where we're headed next. Well, I mean, that's a very literal interpretation of uh, toxic. We were actually thinking that toxic might uh, refer to, I mean, the, the, the song is about how she's falling for the wrong guy, a guy who is, in fact, toxic and, and bad for her, but she just can't resist him, which I think pretty clearly describes her, her uh, star-crossed marriage to Clement Federline. Um, you know, it, said, uh, it starts, Baby, can't you see I'm calling? Uh, which I don't understand what that means, but a guy like you should wear a warning. It's dangerous. I'm falling. There's no escape. I can't wait. I need a hit. Baby, give it to me. You're dangerous. I'm loving it. And he clearly is a guy who um, was, you know, he, he had a family. He had children when she got together with him. So it, it wasn't hard to see that, like, he was, in fact, toxic. And yet, you know, as she's saying, she's like, you know, she knows he's bad, and she still can't resist, and 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 you know, begs for it. 
But actually, I kind of like Ryan's interpretation. If you go on into the... Uh, that, that's just going to kill us all with a dirty bomb or something. I don't know whether it's the, um, the, the pre-course or what, but the lyrics, Too high, can't come down, losing my head, spinning round and round, which I think is a... Uh, gas, a gas, quick, like, boys, an ecstasy no, no, no. of fumbling. What it means is that she's going to have her head chopped off in a uh, helicopter accident. <laughs> <laughs> that's a very specific prediction. Oh, I, I was um, quoting from the World War One, uh, you know, poem Dolce et Decorum asked about mustard gas and the the horrors of uh, chemical warfare. Gals is going to be our, our very next podcast after we do the one about your high school. <laughs> yeah, and then, and then the one about pedophilia afterwards. By the way, it occurred to me before we talk about the next song. Um, Amy Winehouse uh, wrote a song about uh, rehab and then actually went to rehab, which is so uh, eerie. We should really very closely inspect all of Amy Winehouse's songs because she apparently does have, uh, you know, very specific powers of prognostication. Right. Maybe she's like maybe she's like Britney, you know, in that she yeah. is that she is that rare strong pop Sibyl. singer. Doesn't the Sybil tell the future or something? Although actually, I mean, if you really listen to the lyrics of rehab. All that she does is say over and over again that she will not go to rehab. So, right, she has so exactly whatever, whatever Amy Whitehouse says in her songs, the opposite will absolutely happen. Yeah. <laughs> this is somebody's got to get to work on googling this while the rest of us discuss Britney. Uh, but uh, so, so the, the next song, which I think is perhaps the most interesting one, uh, is that that very first hit, "Baby One More Time," which I think uh, Matt, you were the one who figured out that this. Purely uh, mirrors her custody battles. Can you explain that? Right, and that, that, that how she she does not have her babies anymore, but wants them one more time. Uh, so to <laughs> quote from it right here: uh, "Oh baby, baby, how was I supposed to know that something wasn't right here? Like nobody told me I needed to cover my outlets with plastic, or that like babies don't eat Thai food." Um, baby, baby, I shouldn't have let you go. That's when she was driving, holding the baby. Uh, you know, and have you now tried, you're of, have you tried to feed yeah. Oliver Thai food? I once uh, fed him Indian food, and but I'm going to claim that like I actually had a bad reaction to that Indian food. So it wasn't so much that like, oh no, I fed a two year old Indian food. It was that like I shouldn't have gotten Indian food from that like sketchy guy on the street and fed it to me. You, you fed him Indian food from a cart off the street. Listen, he's in New York. This is how we roll in the East Village. <laughs> Uh, he should have been so lucky for there to have been a cart. It was just a dude. Is <laughs> <laughs> it just a dude to like open up a trench because like psst, you want you want to buy some chicken tikka? <laughs> you want some? <laughs> you want some Rogan Josh? <laughs> and like yeah, like and oh god, it's terrible. Um, show me how you want it to be. This is this is her talking now to the judge. Tell me, judge, because I need to know. Uh, and then my loneliness is killing me, which is really sad. And I, right? I must confess, I still believe. Still believe. Uh, when I'm not with you, I lose my mind. Give me a sign. Uh, give me my babies one more time. Uh, which again is, was altered in post-production. Yeah. yeah. Right. No, I mean, I think a lot of these legs clearly were altered slightly to make them less uh, eerily prescient. So this this chorus this chorus musically I don't know if I should save this for a post or do this now but Jordan and I were emailing about this the chorus of this song musically which 
Um, to me, the most remarkable thing about it is that the strongest arrival in it is in the seventh bar on the major three chord. So it's not in, right, it's not at a normal place rhythmically, and it's not on the tonic of, of the song, you know? Uh, and that it's, it just has this sort of restless, this restless thing, and Jordan described it as a chain of applied dominance. Uh, and I mean, there's one. I mean, it goes to the it goes to the relative major, and back to the minor, and then to the relative major again, and and then back to the minor. But I think this sort of this, you know, I don't know. This was not a terrible, not a terrible song musically, especially when you listen. And I have listened to Mandy Moore's uh, "So Real," you know, her first <laughs> record, or Christina Aguilera's first record. Like this was actually. There were some witty things, I think, in some of this early, you know, largely European-generated uh, dance music that that Britney Spears was the singer and the face on. Yeah, and I think that um, one of the more interesting things about that is that, you know, when those first uh, first songs came out, people complained a lot that. You know, it's all done by a team of Swedish producers. She's not writing her own music. Therefore, she's inauthentic. Inauthenticity in music is, you know, the worst possible sin. Um, however, in more recent years, although, I mean, she's still not writing her own music, but I think that it's much more obvious. So like, like I said, the, the Slave for You song is, um, I'm pretty sure that's the Neptunes. Let me make sure it actually is. So I don't sound like an idiot. Um, And like, oh yeah, and listening to that, there's no chance that that could be anyone other than the Neptunes. So it doesn't strike us as dishonest in the same way. So in a sense, like, she's become authentic. She's at least copying to the fact that she has producers. However, it's no longer as musically interesting. So I think, uh, you know, when we talk about the, the train wreck Britney versus the early Britney... It's not just that she uh, has a train wreck in her private life. Something has gone wrong in her musical identity as well. Well, I'd, I'd argue that in white music, you hadn't had... Oh, someone's going to find a counterexample, I'm sure. But you hadn't had a Britney... You know, you hadn't had a, a, a white female singer working in this, in this area. White pop music had been grunge and then was this sort of coffeehouse Alanis Morissette sort of neo-singer-songwriter. Is, is Madonna not a good analog? Well, she's... Yeah, but she was... Don't you is think Debbie, Madonna... Debbie Gibson? Madonna sort of peaked maybe 10 years before. And Debbie Gibson... Yeah, I mean, so like, what are you saying? Like, you mean like, like, the 90s. The 90s were kind of purged of, of, like, you know, you had... I mean, I think Lisa Loeb was probably the closest thing, but she was also much more in the coffee shop mode as well. Right. Lisa Loeb, Alanis Morissette... Jill Sobule, you know, and then like on a slightly more out there, slightly more out there spectrum, Tori Amos, and then even more out there, uh, Ani DeFranco released her first record in 1990. So, um, you know, so that she was, uh, she was kind of a new thing at the time, or at least the thing that we hadn't seen for a while. And now it seems like you can't, um uh you know now you can't spit without hitting a uh white girl singing R&B. Yeah, exactly. And by the way, I'd like to point out uh about Amy Winehouse, uh one oh, of her other points. Sing- 
No, well, one one of her other singles was you, you know the earlier theory that like whatever she says the opposite is true. Yeah. So that like you know in addition to rehab she had a song called You Know I'm No Good, and of course she <laughs> is in fact good and she won a lot of Grammys so that that whole <laughs> um. <sighs> And uh, and one of her other singles is called "Tears Dry on Their Own," and and uh, I guess I don't know I don't know I'm gonna have to think about that one for a while, <laughs> but I'm sure I can make this work. Everything Amy Winehouse has ever uttered is like a lie. I think just to sort of make a gesture towards wrapping up and kind of coming to some sense of what this all means, I think South Park is not far off about the bloodlust. Uh, you know, in the culture for these celebrity train wrecks. And as we were, as we were setting this up by email, you know, we made the joke of like celebrity train wrecks throughout history. Uh, and my first thought was, well, Dido and Aeneas, you know, Antony and Cleopatra, like, um, but let me ask, is there something uh, sexist in that? Because like Keith Ledger died and I don't think anyone was secretly gleeful about that. That was like, everyone was really sad. About that, no, is it because Heath Ledger is a more? First of all, he never was tabloid fodder. Um, second of all, maybe he's a more talented. He was after he he was after he and Michelle Williams got divorced. Well, that's true. So, like, like why is the death of Heath Ledger like a tragedy, whereas the death of Britney Spears would be something that, like, I mean, like, I don't think you know many people like openly would cackle over it, but I think like it is it is true that like you would kind of feel that like, and maybe maybe the fact is like Heath Ledger like nobody felt like he really brought that on himself, you know that that was just like a fluky, you know he like overdosed on a combination of things, but like where's that like Britney Spears seems yeah, but to he have? Was living, I mean, well, I think uh, can I can I jump in here? I think please. that this yeah. also I think you know is a, the time to bring in our old friend Anna Nicole Smith, um, who again you know nobody made the like we we didn't we didn't even suggest making a uh, a, a um, Heath Ledger uh, jokey uh, snarky video montage after he died. And I, yet, I actually know. suggested it. I suggested it to Rather, and he shut it right down. Um, oh god yeah the the guys on this call are the three guys involved in anna in the wind so we're the people to be talking about this i mean i it took me i mean literally like i mean i remember the the anna nicole smith i read the the obituary on gawker and the next thing i thought is we have to make a music video and um and and with Heath ledger i mean it it was several hours later till it occurred to me and so i think there is, is this difference is gendered um for sure i'm not um, i'm not sure though i mean i before i would look at gender i would say that heath ledger was like an extremely talented uh actor and and you know oscar nominated for brokeback mountain and yet you know early career he did all that crap like nice um, tale. a nice tale and didn't he do like 10 things i hate about you or one of those shakespeare yeah, high like, school movies that's like a generally well-liked you know i mean it's not it's not like, you know, Final Destination 3. Like, people sort of, like, have, like, vaguely fond feelings about 10 Things I Hate About You. Not me. I'm, when I say people, I mean, like, you know, the people who have an appetite for but things like also, that. You know, he was also sort of young and early in his career. And I can tell you as an aspiring early career actor, last Christmas, you know, I got paid to tap dance in an elf costume. And, you know, there's no – I don't think you really can necessarily judge a person's uh, talent or sort of artistic, uh, 
you know, merit solely on on what they did early, you know, was solely on on the first couple gigs they had. And like this uh, Terry Gilliam project that he was in, or the Batman movie looked really interesting. And you know, Brokeback was a was a, a fine film, little little stuffy. I guess, but like, you know, very beautiful in its way. And that like the passing, you know, his passing, a guy who was talented and was famous for doing something that, that is in some sense admirable, arouses feelings on a different order than Anna Nicole Smith, who was famous for being famous or, or for not being famous and somehow parlaying her not being famous into being famous. But aren't you Britney the, the, Spears the is, is rapidly and her boobs. Right. No, no, I'll let you go first. Well, I'm just wondering, I just want to come back and say, but isn't this perception itself gendered on the deeper level of this, you know, in terms of um, hegemonic discourses and what we expect of, of men and male celebrities versus what we expect of women and, and, and female celebrities. And so I'm saying that it's not just, you know, it's the, it's this deeper level of what, how do we read, you know, someone being a train wreck and, uh, how does like a pattern of behavior, um, get classified, and also, you know, what are the career, what are the career paths that are viable? What are the artistic artistic choices that can be made? And I think that, um, I mean, I, I think the case could definitely be made that, um, you know, that that women in Hollywood, women in, in pop music, are constrained in ways that that men are not, and it's this you know, by this kind of the virgin whore dichotomy, right? And you're kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't. Whereas someone like Heath Ledger, um, granted, you know, what may, may possibly had more freedom to, you know, take artistic risk, go in different directions and not necessarily be judged for it. So it's hard, you know, we, we can't read the separate trajectories separate from gender and the, and the whole web of meanings that are, that are tied to that. No, but I would... I would... I would point out like Janis Joplin as an example of, you know, she was a, a, a train wreck in her way. I mean, she, you know, died young and she's considered, she's considered in the same breath as like Jim Morrison and, mm. you know, and that just cause she was, she was such a remarkable talent. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd also say that that Amy Winehouse today is sort of a train wreck on a totally different level than Britney, just because it's undeniable when you listen to her sing that she's you know that she's really got something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But at the same right. time, you know, but that, I think I mean, she but that up to something about the gender. Right. right. Here's something to consider: uh, George Clooney is dating a, a cocktail waitress now. Nice. And. And in fact, like broader to like, I mean, you know, I, I saw the pre-show for the like, she was his date to the Academy, so it's not even like, I mean, he's like straight up dating her. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with like dating, you know, just a woman. And I'm not saying like she's an idiot. I mean, you know, but whatever. But I feel like a female celebrity, if let's say Meryl Streep started dating like, you know, a bartender, you know, some like much younger New York bartender, she would never be able to live it down. Well, like, did, I mean, there, there clearly is a double standard. Have you not? Uh, I mean, Demi Moore, Demi Moore, Ashton Kutcher. Right. And that's the thing. But it's like a big deal in a way that I don't think it would be. A, I mean, but whatever. Like, that doesn't have anything to do with celebrity. That's just a general double standard for like yeah. men can have trophy girlfriends in a way that like, you know, women. I don't know. 
And you know, that's apparently like, oh, Oscar, oh, Oscar, Oscar winner uh, Tilda Swinton of Constantine fame uh, <laughs> apparently has a has a modern domestic arrangement. I, I mentioned her because she's on one of the previous podcasts. Uh, has a modern domestic arrangement where she has like a cabana boy, live-in boyfriend cabana boy, and her husband just like lives on the third floor or something. Wait, you mean like like she like has a sexual relation with like a young man and her husband is what what is the role of her husband in this relationship? <laughs> I think he babysits the children and lives in the house. Is this true? This I, is the most amazing thing I've ever heard. I read it on I read it on a a, a Hollywood mm-hmm. gossip blog, so surely it's not true, but uh that's not going to well, stop. Uh, me th- this makes me actually hunger for the VH one Tilda Swinton reality show, you know. <laughs> at, at home with the Swintons. I mean, this would it would bump uh, you know, what the uh, the Brady the Brady maybe baby uh show right off the rotation, I think. <laughs> yeah, no, that that's that's absolutely I'm looking at Wikipedia right now. She has a platonic relationship with her husband and a living uh, lover who is a painter. Uh, oh, that, see, that... I read it on like I read it on Gawker or Defamer or something like that. I I didn't read it on. I'm not nearly so high minded as to read it on Wikipedia. Wow, that's awesome! I'm looking at the uh, the guy's website. the uh, The painter has a website now. I'm going to send him an email. Send it from send it from your. Uh, from Belinky at overthinkingit.com. Yeah, and just be like, way to, way to have sex with the woman from Constantine. And we like, are, and like, we, it's we gotta veered. be off, like, he's like hanging out with her husband though, right? They're all living in the same house. It's like the worst sitcom ever. We have really veered off topic. Uh, so maybe we should, maybe we should wrap it up. Any final thoughts, uh, Matt or I mean, Ryan? All my thoughts are dedicated to Tilda Swinton right now. Uh, <laughs> I think no thought. I mean, I think if there's a motto, I think no thought is ever is ever final. Um, and so I think um, I, I think that I think that, that except is, you know, except fi- for final... except for like oh shit. But I guess so. But I mean, in, I guess in the realm of overthinking it, um, I think that should be our, our our motto. So you know, I think final thoughts are a little. I think it's a trick question. Um, I think. If oh, anything, cool. we... I have to say that, like, I'm rooting for Brittany having, like, a real second act and, like, actually, like, like pulling yourself together, like, taking, like, a few years off in the desert, getting in shape, working on an album slowly over time. And, like, she's never going to be, like, an amazing, you know, significant musical artist. But, like, you know, I feel like she could be, like, a pop star that you could, like, respect instead of, like, a joke. What if What if she did something entirely different? What if she went into, like... You know, foreign policy, or I don't know, hedge, you know, like, fund, like hedge fund management, yeah. or something. Well, the Bush, the Bush administration is uh, is kind of in its twilight. So if, she, if she's going to do that, it's now's the time. Really, it's not going to get any better for her than now. She could be, um, you know, she right. could follow the example of Obama girl. <laughs> I, um, oh, by the way, girl. by the way, Obama Rasta is really an incredible post. Uh, I, I'm glad. I mean, I, I I just knew what I as soon as I heard it, I knew what I had to do. And um, the um, you know, and the fact that like I think it's in the comments some of these other songs that people have found just by googling that uh you know there's a real international response in things mm-hmm. like Jamaican dancehall music and reggae and and other music non you know non American musical styles to the candidacy of Barack Obama and that he mm-hmm. this this argument that 
you know, he is a desirable candidate for a lot of reasons, but uh, but one of them is that he sends a message to the world mm -hmm. about what kind mm -hmm. of nation we want to be. Sure. And uh, no. and that that seems to be being picked up by the world. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I think the message that I would get, you know, I would I would uh, throughout the last year, I spoke to many Kenyans about uh, U.S. politics and they would say, well, you know, especially in speaking about Hillary versus Obama, they would say, but yes, uh, Americans hate black people much more than they hate women. <laughs> uh, so you would never vote for a black president. And so, you know, if we would do that um, and say, no, we hate women more um, than, than black people, right. I think that would send... And we at least keep people on their toes, you know? It, well, it wouldn't necessarily say... <laughs> Well, because the, the brown, a lot of the brown people hate women as well, so I think it would, it would it'd be sort of a big tent America. Uh, <laughs> it'd be a way of bonding. It would be a, be a way of expressing our solidarity with the third world. You know, it's funny. Know, sorry, we don't call it the third world anymore. It's extremely colonialist of me. It's the developing world. Pardon me. The, okay. This is the third world. Yeah. Is there a fourth world? Or there, are only, there are only three, right? Antarctica. Is the fourth world, <laughs> or the yeah. moon, or something? Yeah, it's something. I mean, the second world was communism, right? I'm not yeah. crazy, right? Okay, good. That's right. Post-communism, yeah. Right. Well, okay. So let's uh, let's wrap it up and leave it there. Uh, yeah, let's take it to the blog. Which I think this is a communism, giving right. me fodder fodder for thought. Uh, All right. Well, I'll thought. get this up. I'll get this up over the weekend, and so I I I I declare Britney Week open for business. And uh, I inaugurate a whole series of posts about the cultural phenomenon of Britney Spears, celebrity train wrecks, starlets, jailbait, uh, and the like. You can call and leave a voice message to be included on this podcast at 203-285-6401. That's 203-285-6401. Or leave a comment at overthinkingit.com. I'm Matt Rather. I'm here with Ryan Sheely. Well, I'll see you. Peace out. And Matt Belinke. Don't don't Google uh, porn horror and push images. Just don't do it. Jordan Stokes had to leave earlier, but he, uh, you know, he Skype chatted his goodbyes to everyone, and uh, mahalo.